Good day and welcome to the Canadian Regulatory Technology Association's Tech Talk. My name is Paul Childerhose and I am honored to be serving as a strategic advisor to the association. Our talk today is entitled Tower of Babel, How to Manage Global Regulatory Challenges. And I'm very pleased to be joined by Nick Bray, who was appointed earlier this year to head up business development for Cube Global, a self-funded privately held reg tech company founded in London, England back in 2011. I'll introduce Nick and some of his background now. Prior to joining Cube earlier this year, Nick had spent 14 years in the governance, risk and compliance industry, beginning at the Bank of Montreal, where he gained vast experience across the organization through information management, data governance and IT strategy initiatives. Nick then moved into compliance at BMO, where he implemented their compliance and regulatory intelligence solution. Nick then shifted to product management in a business development role at Thomson Reuters or Refinitiv, where most recently he served as Refinitiv's global business director for the major Canadian banks across their risk and financial solutions. Bit of background now. Financial institutions globally are estimated by some sources to be spending 20 to 30% of their operating budgets on regulatory compliance. For our conversation today, I'd like to focus on what can be referred to as the proverbial Tower of Babel challenge. Challenges that confront financial institutions globally where problems pro proliferate around imprecise definitions, semantic ambiguity, a lack of business context, a lack of stakeholder perspectives, regulatory and business concept complexity, duplicative requirements. I'm going to stop myself there. Um, before I ask Nick a leading question, Nick, over to you. Would you like to uh, take a minute and just introduce yourself or say anything? Maybe, maybe more importantly, as, as the globe faces and has been living through the last two plus months of the COVID pandemic, for you personally and, and how you've had to adjust, any tips that you'd like to share in terms of what you've realized about working from home, the challenges that come with that, and the challenges, I guess, of doing business development here in the Canadian financial services sector. Thanks, Paul. Um, it's a really interesting point, actually, because part of my, my shift over to Cube uh, was, was working more remotely. I mean, globally with our offices um, in London, New York, Australia, uh, we, do, we have a lot of remote workers. And so adapting to that um, was sort of a, a, a fire horse course for me at the beginning of the year, having sort of been in the, the big offices in Toronto for, for the lengths of my career. Um, so, so quickly evolved into that, but then, uh, you know, right on the tails of that, um, so was everyone else. And so um, I, I think the, the, the key thing is patience. Um, everyone's in the same boat. And I think if, uh, it, it, you know, if you're going to start fretting about, you know, children in the background, dogs barking, things like that, you know, it's not going to get you very far. So I think just being patient and being, uh, you know, being open-minded and things like that to, to the nuances and how 
how people work out of their comfort zones to a certain degree, I think is, uh, is really key to being successful, quite frankly, in, uh, in any industry, regardless of where you're at. And so we've got lots of, lots of friends and lots of former colleagues and current colleagues that are all in different situations. And I think it's, uh, it's been amazing to see, see the globe adapt, but uh, in particular, you know, Canada with the, with the time zones and the global outreach and whatnot. So I think it's been, it's been exceptional from that standpoint. And then just, just working with, with uh, in the Canadian market, obviously there was an initial slight pause but I say slight and that uh, uh, you know a lot of the contact and a lot of the the, the ongoing conversations quickly picked back up and I think it's been it's just unbelievable to see how everyone's just gotten gotten back at it uh, from that standpoint and, and are carrying out their jobs so a lot of them being in our industry on the regulatory front being very critical uh, to make sure that they can uh, you know meet all the obligations and whatnot that are that are essential because I think there's even more demand on uh, on the financial services industry, especially to uh, to have that consumer confidence, and uh, and I think that uh, that puts a puts a huge um, spotlight on on compliance and regulatory activities to make sure that with the changes, especially on the technology front and whatnot, with the consumers that uh, that they're still on the up and up when it comes to compliance. You're, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of, I'm not gonna give you a softball here, Nick. Um, <laughs> As I thought about, you know, our time together here, I, I, I was thinking back in your career, having spent 14, 15 years, I guess, working within one of Canada's largest banks, Bank of Montreal in various capacities, which I referred to, um, and then moving on to the vendor side with, with Thomson Reuters, Refinitiv, and now in your capacity with Cube Global, um, responsible for developing a market for Cube solutions here in Canada. Um, thoughts on, here's my question, thoughts for you as it relates to where the supervisors, the global regulatory bodies for the financial services sector, what are some things that you would like to see them do to ease the burden on the industry as it relates to regulatory compliance reporting? Oh, that's a tricky one. I mean, it's, uh, first and foremost, I wouldn't call it a burden as a, you know, I think that sort of was a good, good lead into, uh, to my comments earlier with respect to, you know, the lens being on it with the changes in, in working environments and day-to-day -day environments from that standpoint, that I think it's, you know, it's the responsibility of the regulators and the supervisors, the associations, and so on and so on to, to protect the consumer at the end of the day, be it personal consumers or, or corporate consumers from that standpoint. So I think it's not so much about easing the burden so much as uh, making it easier to understand the requirements uh, syncing up with one another from that standpoint. I mean, those are those are two of probably the, the the number one requests we constantly get from clients is to say, can you help with this? Um, because we've got regulators from that standpoint uh, looking at the same thing, but from slightly different lenses, be it you know regional, i.e., state or federal, or provincial or federal, um, as well as uh, you know just looking at it from different lenses, but with the same requirements for overarching. Uh, corporate service functions, and they they all like to pipe in on privacy and uh, and, and you know have to for the most part on when we talk about uh, other other major major components like AML and uh, and fraud. So I think it's the more they can sync up on that, the, the the better it's going to be to clarify expectations and accountabilities are are a lot of the key the key attributes that we find from that standpoint. So I think I mean, 
listening and thinking about certainly our our large banks in Canada that operate across dozens of, of jurisdictions globally, let alone provincially here in Canada, and thinking about the concept of standardization from a regulatory perspective. And, um, you know, you and I and, and many listening will, will recall back the efforts, the, the significant efforts that went on globally as it relates to introducing a standardized identifier standardized identifier for legal entities. And I'm thinking about in terms of the rules and regulations that are coming out across jurisdictions, from your perspective on, on the vendor side now, uh, largely I would say you're probably doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting in terms of standardization and, and developing a common vocabulary or taxonomy for how these regulations need to be interpreted or applied within a financial institution. What do you think about standardization within the industry around regulatory or legal terms or even concepts? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an excellent point because I think as much as the banks in, in Canada in particular say that they, they wanna tackle this, you know, I've seen it on the wealth side, on the insurance side, on the AML side, they, they form these task forces and we get together and lots of, lots of good output from that from a communication standpoint. But I think the challenge there is, is that as you start to get to a solution, things become proprietary pretty quickly. Uh, and with that, you find that a lot of the, the taxonomies and the common concepts that are being developed start to get diluted. Um, and so I think the utility of them start to wear off and then, you know, one leaves the table and so on, you get that snowball effect and, and what, what is an unbelievably significant initiative to help alleviate some of the, um, uh, some of the, the nuances and differences, even just from one exam to another for the regulators, I think is, uh, is difficult to manage. And so I think that that definitely falls in the hands of the vendors. And I think that the key there is trust. I think that, you know, a lot of cases that you've got, all the, you know, the, the semantic and jargon out there with, with AI and machine learning and natural language processing, it's all unbelievable technology and critical to our, uh, to our industry and our function. Uh, but we've got we've to be able to build that, build that trust out to be able to ensure that the, um, the corporations are, are comfortable consuming that. And I think it's exactly to your point, establishing that, that standard, standard taxonomy is more than just being able to pull out keywords and phrases from, from regulations and things like that, that there's gotta be, there's gotta be more to it, more intelligence to it than that. And I think uh, that's something that, uh, you know, vendors are, are now aspiring to do, but I think it's going to take building out that, that, that trust with the big firms to, to be able to, to see that evolution truly occur. And I think, I think we're there. It's just getting over that, uh, getting over that final final hump, uh, and now obviously with the current environment, there's a little bit more of a little bit more of a hump to get over. But I think uh, I think we're we're going to get there, and uh, uh, we're seeing more and more more and more confidence and, and curiosity going into that. Um, you know, almost as we speak. So. Did you? Would you? So Nick, from um, from your vantage point now, looking looking into the financial institutions and specifically we'll, we'll focus on the large, the Canadian banks and the Canadian financial services sector here, the market in which you're, you're working within um, level of maturity or, or how advanced, you know, as a UK working for a UK based company that came out of the Lehman crisis, the credit crisis back in 2008, 2009 founded in, in the UK here in Canada, where you're looking to develop the business and the market for Cube, 
how advanced or how mature or immature do you think the firms are here with respect to utilizing technology as part of the compliance value chain? So, you know, from the internal, lots of resources, ex incredibly expensive uh, for internal interpretation by legal compliance groups, understanding changes to policies. Give me, can you give me a sense of where we are in this market relative to, to other jurisdictions such as the UK? It's a, it's a bit of a cube. I would say the way we've managed things, not just in Canada, but in North America, we tend to go, we tend to go big bang uh, and try to, uh, try to apply, uh, you know, new technology, new resources to everything. Uh, in, in Europe, we find that it's a bit more segmented with respect to solving specific problems, uh, be it cyber, privacy, AML, you name it. So I think one of the, one of the things that we've seen here is that GRC or having, having the big governance risk and compliance solutions in place has been, has been well adopted. That started, you know, back in probably in earnest in 2011, 2012, uh, when all the companies were first adopting technology. I've implemented it myself, and I think a lot of the keys there is it's it's a huge focus on workflow and uh, getting everyone involved and establishing a target operating model that can see the different lines of defense across the board uh, operate together from that standpoint and, and have that flow um, and, and you know tying in all the different different metadata elements and whatnot. I, I think the the missing component from a maturity standpoint is uh, automation and and a lot of that uh, you know can can help especially on the right tech front when it comes to identifying change uh, and then being able to incorporate it into your ecosystem or infrastructure um, so that you, you don't have to spend all your time identifying the change, you spend your time actioning the change downstream uh, and getting the appropriate people involved and, and awareness from that standpoint. So I think adopting technology to really help to, to, to automate and embracing sort of all the new, new componentry with, with AI and machine learning natural language processing i think is going to be going to be really key to to help them evolve into into where they need to be and that's not to say it's replacing grc it's it's accelerating and improving grc from that standpoint by layering in um the the, the new technology on top of that especially on the on the regulatory side or if we look downstream on the, on the fraud and uh, financial crime side nick we're um we're just getting into it here but uh, you know as our, our our tech talks with the canadian reg tech association are just just launching really now um we're gonna i'm gonna wrap it up now with one give you one opportunity i guess for a closing thought here um one of the things that i often heard lamented when i was working at, at two of canada's largest banks from the business sponsors of these regulatory projects or programs they would often say wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be nice if the time and the money that we're investing in regulatory compliance projects could pay back a dividend to the revenue side of the business. Wondering from your perspective, do you have any advice, Nick, or guidance, you know, maybe less so now from your current role, but certainly during your time at Bank of Montreal, um, how you might approach that from a sponsor perspective um, in terms of gaining greater value uh, for the business side? It's an awesome question, and I'm going to go big bang on this one because it's uh, it's it's a, it's a definite passion. I think within the, the the traditional compliance umbrella, you you have to be able to show the downstream benefits beyond just having workflow and creating more work uh, for 
the compliance users, especially within the business, now that we've seen that successful delineation between first and second line and third line, I think that that's, uh, that's going to be really critical is to be able to, to emphasize the value that the compliance teams are going to get out of not only the process, but the data that they're collecting. Hence my point earlier about automation. If you can start to show that you, you are, you're building a business case to help automate some of those procedures, especially the initial triage and change and whatnot, that's going to be critical. But even more so, and this is where it gets really revolutionary, is to look at it from the, look at it outside the box. Stop looking at regulatory data as compliance data that gets stuck in a vacuum uh, and you, 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 you know, you, it, it's not cheap data from that standpoint. When we look at it from pure data data set, I think you know, with the evolution of, of, of you know ESG and all the sustainability concepts, I think we we can start looking at regulatory data as alternative data. All these jargon and niche terms, but it's really catching on from that standpoint to really look outside the box and and prove to your organization and business. Um, you who are looking for revenue and whatnot, how they could utilize this data to not only, you know, stay compliant and stay ahead uh, of change from that standpoint, but also look at how they can apply it to um, their existing practices to, to bolster results, be it, uh, be it their CRM systems, applying enforcement activity, um, looking at uh, looking at their products with respect to heavily regulated areas that may become more heavily regulated and is that something they want to invest in i think having that as part of your business case to really sell these solutions sort of out of the traditional mandatory spend and into the discretionary spend i think is uh, is a really interesting proposition and something that uh, that, uh, that that rag tech in general i think can can easily support given all the given all the data that we're accumulating nick um we're going to wrap it up there. I, I said that, but I, you know, I do hope that we have the chance you and I to, to come back again, um, maybe in an expanded format down the road, but certainly would like to express my appreciation to you personally for, for joining us today and, and also to your firm, the firm you're working with now, Cube Global, who is a member of the Canadian Regulatory Technology Association. And, and we are grateful for your support and participation. And thank you, Nick, for joining me today. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate it. It's been a fun time. Thank you. Cheers.